The Holy Gospel according to Matthew, the second chapter. Now after the wise men had left, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother by night, and went to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophets, Out of Egypt I have called my son. When Herod saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he was infuriated, and he sent and killed all the children in and around Bethlehem who were two years old or under, according to, Jer- <clears throat> according to the time that he had learned from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what had been spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, wailing and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be consoled because they are no more. When Herod died, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who were seeking the child's life or death are dead. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was ruling over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And after being warned in a dream... He went away to the district of Galilee. There he made his home in a town called Nazareth, so that what had been spoken through the prophets might be fulfilled. He will be called a Nazarene. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord. I invite you all to be seated. This was uh, one of the two Sundays of the year that we used to call the Feast of the Seminarians when I was in seminary. Partly because, you know, the Sunday after Christmas and the Sunday after Easter are the two most popular Sundays of the year for pastors to take off. And my joke as a seminarian was always that it was partly because pastors are tired and it was partly because they wanted somebody else to preach this text. Because every year, the Gospel of Matthew reflects the, the slaughter of the innocents, the order by King Herod to kill all children under the age of two. It's a, it's, a, it's a troubling text for an awful lot of reasons. It's actually more personally troubling to me this year because my daughter's 21 months old. Now, fortunately, they were a lot of times aiming at male children, and my daughter might have been okay. But, you know, it just, uh, I, I can't even begin to imagine what that must have been like. It's my greatest fear in print in the Bible. And the, there's a lot of things that cause me to struggle with this text in, in part because of the gravity of it, but also because it's kind of interesting to see the, the role that the different places and prophecies play in this text. Part of the, and part of the challenge of this text right now is just the condition of the Holy Family. You know, we, we live in a time and a place that has a context in its own history, and we see part of what we struggle with in this text is not simply that we struggle with how to be people, how to be a nation, how to be a church in a context like where we live today, but we see that the struggle of nation and people and church is not unique to our time, but that struggle is something that's part of the human condition. It's part of how we are wired to try to make sense of how to either welcome strangers or not welcome strangers how to make sense of what it means to live in a world where our life might be in danger and we have to run someplace else. 
what it, what it means to, to be in leadership and to wield power where you have to make terrible decisions. And whatever decisions leaders make, we see time and time again throughout history that there are going to be people who support decisions and there are going to be people who are against decisions. And sometimes only history can tell us who the right and the wrong or the righteous and the unrighteous or even beyond that, just whether a decision was worthwhile or not worthwhile. And I, I think that's one of the places where this text really catches me today is in the midst of that all too human struggle. You know, one of the, part of this struggle is the struggle that there is no identity, whether it's human or national, that remains constant. And we see this in the story of Egypt. Remember where we first really experience Egypt in the Bible? Egypt in the Bible is the place that Joseph flees to when his brother, well, he's sold into slavery and either ends up there because he was a slave or he, or he flees there to escape it, right? And so he finds himself finally in Pharaoh's good graces and he works his way up in the court. And so Egypt becomes a place of refuge for Joseph. And then when Joseph's family finds themselves in the famine during, in the land where he was born, it becomes a place of refuge for his family, where his family goes and they find welcome because of his influence, right? And they find food and they also find something that is all too rare in our lives sometimes, which is family reconciliation and forgiveness when there is real reason to be deeply hurt and separated. You know, and so the story of Egypt begins as one that's a place of refuge. What's interesting is it's somewhere between two and 400 years that the people of Israel who have, who have then settled, Joseph's family, have, have grown in number, and all of a sudden it begins to make the establishment nervous because all of a sudden they recognize that there's a lot more Israelites than they ever anticipated living there in Egypt. And so all of a sudden the Israelites are then enslaved. And not only that, but we come back into the story of God's people when the Pharaoh has made their workload heavier and harder and less and less and less fair or possible, and God's people are oppressed. And so Egypt becomes a place from which people flee. And so it, it is about 1,700 years, 1,500 years after that, that we get this next Joseph, who is the, the adopted father of Jesus, who hears in a dream that Herod the Great is after him, and hears in a dream that once again, Egypt will be a place of refuge for Joseph and his family. Isn't it interesting how things really come full circle in this? You know, and. And we see the complexity of, of the fact that people remain kind of the same. And even though things change, the world also continues to remain the same. It's, it's, a, it's a really interesting dance. And so Joseph and his family flee from this Herod, who's called Herod the Great. Herod the Great's a really interesting figure as well. Herod the Great is one of those who still has things that he's built that persist in some way, shape, or form to this day in the, in the landscape of the Holy Land. So Herod the Great was a leader who in a lot of ways brought a peace and prosperity under Roman occupation that maybe nobody else was equipped to do because of his connections to the, to the movers and shakers in the Roman society and also within the Jewish community. You know, he was certainly someone who was, was both loved and feared, who was both revered and hated 
depending on whichever group you happen to be a part of, according to whether you were in his good graces or not. And he was a, he was a person who found himself in, in some ways a, a very relatable, challenging position. And it was interesting to hear on the podcast that I like listen to, which I, I think would actually be worth listening to just to hear the arguments between the smart people about how this legacy really, really plays out, the Working Preacher podcast for today. You know, there, there was the, the one who was trying to, to make the case essentially that, it, and it's so weird to hear because he was saying on the one hand, yes, he, he commanded the slaughter of innocent children. And on the other hand, there were probably those people who said, well, we understand in, certain, in times like these, you have to do drastic things, as well as the people who were saying, no, you can't do that to children. But we forget, when we think about it from the perspective of power, the, the people who are caught in the middle, Rachel weeping for her children because they are no more. And we see the terrible price that we pay for power not in our culture, but as people in any culture, that the terrible price of power is that when the powerful make decisions that they think just have to be made for the good of everybody, whether it is or not, there are always the vulnerable people who are most affected by those decisions. You know, it's, it's like in any war where it's always the children of the poor who are the ones who fight it. You know, it's... It's like any famine. It's the children of the poor who suffer as, as the rich say, well, we can't feed everybody, right? It's, it's with any disease. It's the children of the poor who suffer. And we see here that it's the, the, the children of Israel who have no power over what their ruler does who suffer and struggle. And, and we see one more way in which God enters into humanity not through power and privilege, but through weakness and vulnerability, through maybe even the fear of his parents as they wondered whether they might be able to protect him. You know, that's part of the context in which our Messiah grew up as a human child. We, we spend an awful lot of time thinking about what it means to be Jesus through the eyes of the divine. And part of what it means to be human is having a perspective having an understanding, having a historical context. And, and we know that this is part of what it means for Jesus to be Messiah too. And it's, it's tempting, it's really tempting, to draw comparisons between this time and different time periods around our history. And it's tempting to draw lines all over the place. I think where we find ourselves in the church is, is not neutral, because I don't want to give you, give you the perspective that we have the luxury of being neutral as the church. God has given us responsibility for those who have no power. That is the gospel. And it's not up to us to draw lines. It's up to us to figure out how in God's church where we are grafted into this family through the waters of baptism, we might be a place of refuge and welcome for all of God's people regardless of what side of what line they might be on, regardless of which of my deep-held opinions they might disagree or agree with me about, regardless of how I might feel about them personally, whoever them happens to be, and I can define a lot of thems if you give me time, you know, we, 
we are called by the waters of baptism to be the place of refuge for those people who are in need, whether it's that physical need or whether it's that emotional need or whether it's that spiritual need and homelessness or whatever it might be. That's the call that we have as the people who follow our Messiah who grew up in this context where God entered into the world not through the power and privilege and hard decisions that every leader has to make, but through the perspective of the ones who those decisions affect the most. It makes a difference in who we are as the family of God. How this week, as we celebrate the joy of Christmas, as we celebrate the joy of the new hope and new dawn and new light that comes to us through the Christ child and all of the things that we hope for, can we lift up this value of Christmas where we are the people who are called to stand in the breach and be the place of welcome and refuge for all of God's creation, no matter how we might feel about that creation? Because we know also the fullness of this story. We didn't get a baby who remained a cute and cuddly child. The story of the Messiah ends on the cross and with an empty tomb. The story of the Messiah is a story that happens in a particular context. And that context is always the continuing story of God redeeming God's people time and time again. And as we join in this story of God, our call as God's people, standing in that breach, calling for peace, is to be the ones who call to redemption all those who need to hear it. So uh, this one's easy. Merry Christmas, right? But as you, as you struggle this week, know that I struggle with you. And as you wrestle, know I wrestle with you. Thanks be to God. Amen.